0: Welcome to Indefense Humanity. My name is Osteris Oz Miller. Um, today I'm joined by Layla Sonora, as well as our co host who's been on hiatus for two years, Nehemiah Jodds.
1: <laughs> Nehemiah,
0: please introduce yourself. And then we can um, introduce Layla.
1: Hi, i um, Nehemiah Johnson. Um, I was a regular on Independence Humanity when it first started. Uh, I have been on a two-year hiatus, um, but I'm happy to be back. Uh, i just going on this journey with Asteris, talking to amazing people and getting to pick their brains. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And today, as I said
0: before, we are joined by Layla Sonora. Um, Layla? organizes events. She has organized many things, including El Chante, which is a book club organized every month talking about social issues. Um, And there are far more things. So we're going to allow Layla. My name is Layla Layla, Layla Sonora.
2: I'm an organizer, I guess. was just a term that I decided to give to myself. Like in the past hour, um, yeah, I organized a book club um, through El Chante, which is a local business here in Albuquerque, um, which focuses on economic uh, uplifting of people of color within the community. And yeah, I organized their social medias and their websites, and then I also organized different cycling groups and programs. And I just put one together for women, trans and femmes, because that space doesn't exist here for us in Albuquerque. So I decided to make it. And that's just me. That's me. Very interesting.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, th- that, that sounds cool. So since we've already begun to discuss that, um, Nehemiah, would you like to start off with the with the question,
1: with um, the question. Can you, if you can, um, just go more into detail about uh, what you organize in New Mexico? Because I find that very interesting. I mean, I'm based out of Atlanta, so um, there are things like that, but I don't even know the scope of anything that you're doing. So could you just inform us and the listeners what all that consists of?
2: Yeah, um, so I've been in cycling for a really long time. I am from Tucson, Arizona originally, but I've moved to Albuquerque because I went to uh, my undergrad at the University of New Mexico. And I got into cycling in high school because there was a nonprofit in Tucson that um, gave, it was like a library loan system type setup for bikes. And you would join this team through like a tryout process. And you would ride bikes with a group of kids, but these bikes weren't your own and they were donated by different community members because this uh, nonprofit was specifically geared towards getting kids who wouldn't be allowed or who weren't privileged enough to afford these types of bicycles and these types of race events um, the opportunity to do so. So I did that in high school. And then when I came to New Mexico, I was like, dang, I want to keep riding my bike just because I had so much fun and I met so many people. Um, through that organization in Tucson. And I was on a cycling team for a little bit in college, but that fell apart due to some financial issues or something. I came in during the middle of like a drama uprising type thing that was going on with the current coach that they had. Um, And so then I was just riding around Albuquerque all by myself because I didn't know anyone else who rode bikes the way I wanted to ride bikes. And then only recently, I met a bunch of people who were interested in riding bikes, but they were, like, the fixed-geared bikes instead of, like, the geared bikes or the mountain bikes, which is cool, too, because all bikes are important. Um, but, yeah, there was just no space that was kind of what I wanted to be a part of. I mean, the fixed-geared group they're really nice and they're really fun but it's also just like a very it's a boys club for sure because cycling in general is a boys club and so um I was like no tired of getting harassed in the street by other male cyclists or by people in their cars and I didn't want to be surrounded by like the type of culture that that was promoting and so I was like I'm going to do this myself because I know a bunch of other women who aren't super interested in getting involved in cycling because they know that that's what they're going to face and men are just like if you're not at the same level as I am instantaneously then it's like not worth it I'm like that's not how that works at all so yeah that was that's my organizing that's my reason for organizing this bike group yeah okay it was a long I list I'm sorry I <laughs>
1: No, nah,
0: but that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but that's... Yeah, go ahead, Esri. Yeah, without a doubt. Um. Yeah, yeah. So what what I'm thinking of is, right, you cycle... Almost yeah, every I don't record. own a
2: car, and I hate driving. So I kind of wish I could give up okay. my driver's license, um, mm-hmm. but I can't do that because I already have mm-hmm. it. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what I've noticed as well, right. Um, since you're big into the bike Mm -hmm. cycling community, um, I used to ride road and cyclocross is that Mm -hmm. with those, yeah, with those, you almost have to have a car to get to where you're going. I mean, I guess you could, you could be on a cyclocross, um, a cross bike and then ride up a mountain Mm -hmm. to your trail and then ride around and then ride back down to your house. But putting in, like, 130 miles the, every single day
2: Yeah. training in it
0: and of itself. Um, so, like, riding around the city is not easier because you have mm-hmm. to worry about other people, the cars, um, I guess people harassing mm-hmm. you all the time. But it definitely provides you better resources for only having a bike if you live yeah, in totally. the city. Yeah, um, totally.
2: Um, just because the United States does it want to participate with the rest of the world in providing public transportations that interconnects these cities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in a way that provides an alternative to owning a car?
0: Yes, absolutely. I was speaking with Kali Johnson and Nehemiah, you know Khalid, um, who was on the podcast before, about mm-hmm. public transportation and Uh, We were talking about interconnecting, like a Greyhound system that goes through rural areas. So not Mm -hmm. necessarily every city, but within 20 miles of every like town of larger than 500 people, just like have a place where like the surrounding area could come, and it's like scheduled, like every other hour on the hour, a bus will come through, take them to the next town where they can jump on another bus, and we have the money. We have it in our transit um, Mm -hmm. fiscal allocation and we have other allocations where cities um, use money, like a rec department will get money to build a a baseball field, but they barely use Mm -hmm. their old baseball field. So it's like either they spend the money or the allocation goes unused because they can't put it anywhere else. So it's just like $2 million freely given Mm -hmm. to someone who doesn't need it. So they decide to use it because, you know, Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, capitalism. Well, if they gave us the money, we might as well do something with it. So then they build a new uh, baseball field for a town whose biggest sport is football, instead of having the ability to reallocate that money towards public transportation or bike lanes. Um, So it leaves rural areas um, staying with the perception Mm -hmm. of being hicks who only care about sports and not about... Yeah,
2: and those also provide just, like, really large strains on the environment as well, like, the baseball fields and watering. Um, Because, like, in parts of Arizona, there's tons of baseball fields, but there's no water, but the grass is always green. And I'm like, this isn't necessary here because these are used, what, two, three weeks out of the entire year? It's just... And people want Mm -hmm. these resources, like, bike lanes, buses, light rails, whatever. Um, and the common thing I keep seeing is like, if you build it, they will come. Like people want car-free spaces So just, and they pay to go to these car-free spaces like these other cities, like Venice, there's not a lot of cars in Venice. And the thing because it doesn't support that type of infrastructure and people pay to go to these car-free cities or with less cars and, to walk and to ride their bike. And they're like, well, wow, like Amsterdam was so great. And it's like, well, you could have that here. We just, our priorities aren't in that area. They're somewhere else.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I, I agree with you fully. And, you know, as, as we all know here, I'm a pretty weird guy. So I, on a regular basis, I just look up different types of roadways and, uh, ways of improving um, transportation. So some of my favorite are like the Cross Diamond Interchange and the Cloverleaf Interchange, which, which don't work that well for cars, but for a cyclist who's always on the lookout and has the freedom mm-hmm. to look everywhere with slower moving vehicles such as bikes. Um, they work incredibly well. So whenever American systems apply them, like with um, uh, Yeah. The roundabouts. Yeah. Then, yeah, don't work very well because Americans are so used to quickly looking one way, looking the other way, looking back quickly and then just driving through. So people don't know how to adjust their minds to hesitation if they've never Mm -hmm. been in a roundabout. There's
2: a roundabout here in Albuquerque that is so fun to watch because people don't know how to use it and people always enter the wrong way that's not the flow of traffic what are you doing you're going the wrong way on a one-way street so that's just classic albuquerque
0: yeah yeah i must say i did have the oh my god it's the worst albuquerque, um for for a little while and then i also found out that it has some of the lowest um commitments to insurance so people have the lowest rates Oof. of actually having car insurance Oh yeah, it's hit so
2: common. I see them all the thing.
0: time. Um, so, so that got me even worried. Not to mention, mm-hmm. no one uses their indicators. So, i I'm, I never thought I would say I'm far happier driving in Atlanta than I am any other <laughs> city and uh, in the Southwest because it's a, uh, it's a problem. Yes. Uh, but. Um, Nehemiah Johnson hit us with, a,
1: hit us with something
0: else, <laughs> left field.
1: All right. So I was thinking, and this might be something that you haven't, you might not really have an answer to right now. Um, and that's totally fine. But how you are talking about the allocation of money in Arizona and how, you know, because I'm a, I'm a former college athlete, so I, I understand it, how, you know, these uh, large corporations or these organizations. Is, colleges or high schools get this money and they have to use it so they build hundreds and hundreds of fields and it's taken away from stuff that can be used in the city. How can somebody as yourself as an organizer uh, reach out to people who make these things happen to maybe I'm trying to Farmers' question the right way. But just basically formulate a plan in order to get these things to happen because I believe that, you know, if we had these options like a a bus system that can take people from rural areas into the city or at least close to the city or like a large train station that took you across the whole lower 48 with this allocation of money, it would be helpful. And, you know, everything starts from at some point. So as an organizer, what is, what kind of response would you have to kind of get in this ballroom? And like I said, if you don't have an answer, it's okay. I was just thinking about it when you were kind of talking about that. Um,
2: hmm. I think, I think the answer would be, one, does just change the way of thinking that you go about moving through different spaces um so like stepping out of the car or yeah stepping out of the car or the motorcycle or whatever um motorized vehicle you're choosing to drive through is very like individualized and it removes you from the community and so I think (laughs) you could take one small step and be like okay today's the day like I'm gonna from now on I'm gonna commute to work which is Granted, I don't know, but my work is only like a mile and a half away from me. And I know most other people, they only they work within like a eight mile radius of where they live. Like most people in the city, like they don't want to work 30 minutes away and they don't want to commute in their car 30 minutes away because then you have to co- like a lot an hour to make yourself make move your way through traffic. Um mm-hmm. And so I think switching that like mindset of being like, okay, I'm going to step out of my car and I'm going to walk to like the Walgreens that's a couple blocks away to get some medicine or whatever. And just like moving, just reallocating your time to something else instead of sitting in your car for the hour that you have to drive to work and take the 20 minutes it takes you to bike to work instead or something. Um, and I think that would be really important is just, Um, shift your mindset and then also it just like it places you in the community and it's not as hard as people think it is to do these things it sounds very difficult and it feels very difficult but just reorganizing your priorities or whatever and yeah just choosing to make the switch I guess um Yeah, I think that would be the first step and encouraging people and providing resources for that because bicycles are expensive. And right now, everyone wants to buy a bicycle because of COVID and there are no bicycles Uh anymore Mm -hmm. to buy new. So you could buy used and just to find something that is right for you. Like it doesn't need to be something super fancy. Um, It can just be something that'll take you from point A to point B without having a backpack on your back because you don't want to show up to the office like drenched in sweat. Um, yeah, and it's just something that, that I think that's the first step is providing that space and those resources to show people that it's not that hard and it's doable for everyone.
1: Yeah, I think, I think we would be better off as a country if we were allowed I think just that basic form of transportation to be, you know, so cool because um, I think just uh I don't know and maybe you can talk about this too as just kinda of the mindset of an American which is kind of so independent and we're so yeah. like, into our own yes state or our yeah. where we're from. And we never really a lot of people in America haven't even went to the next state over. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying why why is that because Mm -hmm. if you don't have the amount of money to take you from point A to point B you might know I mean I'm from Georgia so let's say if I didn't have enough money to go to Florida I wouldn't see Florida or South Carolina or Alabama or you know Mississippi or you know vice versa and I think you know with countries like in Europe per se you have you have tramways you have, you know, they have the autobahn. They have vehicles too, but it's just so many different forms of transportation, and that mm-hmm. opens the world to where you can. Because with me, playing college sports, I played on a team with a lot of people from Europe, and it's just so fascinating to me how they'll just say like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Germany," and you know, for the weekend, I just spent a week in England, and I'm like, "What? Like that's just that's preposterous. How do you even do that?"
2: Mm-hmm. But I
1: think it's just a mindset of Americans, like we don't even go to our next state that easily, you know? So I I believe, I truly believe what you said, the mindset does need to change. That's the first step in order to make these things come to fruition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. And as you know, um, Nehemiah Johnson lately listened to uh, two or three episodes. So this is a part of the podcast whenever I start getting extremely philosophical to underpin the reasons why we do what we do. And my I need you. I need <laughs> you to pull me back <laughs> um, if I if I get lost in the sauce, Matthew, so to speak. Oh boy. Um, so, so here we have a catch-22, right? We have um, Eisenhower with the interstates, which have made us more interconnected as we possibly be. Um, and then... We have, in theory, right, to Truman, I'm a political philosopher. We have a traditional society in the Southeast, right? More, um, a collectivist society, more individual, the further we move west because of west, westward expansion, just building homesteads for individuals. Um, but then during the 20th century after the industrial revolution, we begin to have um, Mm -hmm. the construction of cars and then we move into a phase called debt accumulation or or crediting. So you can get things without actually having to have the money with them, um, which leads us to more individualism because sure, I could carpool with everyone, but then we start having shift work during the uh, late industrial revolution, which was a good thing because, you know, eight hour shifts helped to reduce the fatigue and the, the losses of uh, casualties during the industrial revolution. However, it put people who are friends or family being hired at different shifts because the factory owners thought it was more efficient to not have nepotism, which is sort of true. Uh, you don't want friends talking, so you put them on different shifts. But herein lies the problem with putting people who know each other on different shifts, perhaps living in the same household. They have to come to work at different times. If your workplace does not have dormitories or boarding, uh, meaning they have to have separate Mm -hmm. forms of transportation. Thus, they have to buy uh, two separate cars or find a way to get there, becoming more individualistic. And just like with anything, at first, it makes sense why you need two cars. But eventually, it becomes ingrained in society. Uh, no one knows anymore why we choose to have two cars. It's just, oh, my family, we, we have three cars, yet only the parents are, can drive. Their children are too young. So they have three cars, two cars for no reason. Two of the parents obviously have jobs. What is a third car for? It's a trip car. Um, so we start doing mental backflips to, to justify our cognitive dissonance why we're getting deeper and deeper in debt to make more money, right? You have to have a car to Mm -hmm. go to work, to make money, to pay for the car. Um, And then it falls to once back to this individualism. Well, I have to get the best car because I can compare myself to Rob. Rob, hypothetical Rob, has the new Porsche Macan. I'm going to get the newer version as soon as it comes out. Because he's always um, he's always showing off with that. Even though it'll send me into a deeper cycle of debt, I have to one-up her or her. And thus, I keep going and going, and then eventually I'm left with nothing. I have a vehicle, and I'm just there. So in the end, it does fall to individualism to help the system of capitalism. And it may have been lost, but I guarantee you, Nehemiah Johnson is going to help <laughs> me
1: out with that. Yeah, I just I see where you're coming from with that, uh, with the individualism, and I think with us as a as a country and as a whole, it's why we're so backwards in things that help us as a country. You know what I'm saying? Like because it, you know, what you're doing is amazing, Layla, but also too, it should be more people like you with the mindset. Of trying to organize things like that, because in turn it just makes the country function. Because like you say, like how Estreez was kind of um, explaining, like, oh, if Estreez gets this new, you know, this new foreign vehicle, uh, when the next year comes out, I'm a one up him, which I really can't afford. But I will. I rather put my whole thing out. Mm-hmm because I'm comparing myself and I want to be this individual. Um, and, it, and, it, and it, you know, it's a replication. And it doesn't just happen on the individual level. It, it happens on a wide scale. That's why, you know, they try to do things, or I don't know if they still do, but I, I remember at a period of time they used to promote, like if you carpool, or, you know, if you use certain kind of things and grouping to say, I don't know, I guess, I don't know the, the full specifics of it, but just to kind of kind of influence and motivate us to work as a collective or a group with this daily thing. And I think that, just going back to what Layla said, I think that's a really big thing is the mindset. I think our mindset, the mindset of American people, everything is independent. And, you know, not even to try to go into politics, but just that, it's a lot of people's decision-making on who they appoint as decision makers of our country comes from the individualistic mindset
2: mm-hmm.
1: so in order for us to even grow like, like i don't know when you said that little like it just really like it just really it really hit it really hit in my mind like wow like you really do think like that with everything
2: mm-hmm. i think bringing it Back to the bicycle because that's what I always do and my hatred of cars but um Mm -hmm. it's like a it's not even like a partisan issue of including these um like bike lanes or reducing cars because both sides of the aisle don't like the idea of reducing cars like the left and the right the right maybe more so for like oil companies they don't want to lose that like endorsement or that money that they get from them and the left, I'm not sure why they don't
1: yes. want
2: to reduce this um, just because I think it, it goes back to the individualism. Yeah, but like both both sides of the aisle are not interested in creating these like green spaces and these green like infrastructure projects. Um, I mean, granted it's now changing a little bit but people in their Priuses are some of the most aggressive drivers I have ever encountered in the streets. Like. They are so mm-hmm. angry and I don't understand why. And I mean, granted, the people in their massive trucks are also very angry, but it's the massive truck and the Prius. They're both so mad that I'm taking up this tiny, tiny space that is allotted to me by the city. Um, and then they like yell at me or honk at me or whatever. Um yeah. So it's both, both of these like liberals and then Republicans are not like into the idea of giving away the space that is provided to them in their car. And I think that's really interesting. Indeed. I read this book called Policing the Open Road and they talk about that. And this brings police into the discussion about vehicles and with the invention of the vehicle created a lot of death and destruction within these cities because again, as these cities were not built for an automobile, they weren't built for high-speed moving traffic like that.
1: But yeah, just speaking of like, with things of that matter, um, and just things like biking and forms of transportation and, you know, now we're in an age where there's, you know, uh, people expressing themselves in different ways. I know that's a very broad statement, but just expressing themselves in different way or they're in their own, living different lifestyles that were once, I guess, people would try to uh, deem, you know, not unnormal or things of that nature. I just feel like, and I think this should really just be, like, we should always just go back to this, but, like, our mindset just as a country is, I feel like we are kind of stuck in limbo, and we haven't truly really evolved with the times, and we haven't evolved out of the, I guess, the mindset of which this country kind of adopted, that individualistic mindset, because, you know, There's so much, we could, you know, we were once the powerhouse country of the world. And still today, a lot of media and a lot of the news, even from other countries, focuses back on America. But if you look around to these different countries, like the countries you guys, you know, listed out and said, they have become, you know, so well-developed and they have so many different things. Uh Uh Um, Even just the COVID situation, like, countries like Japan and, or uh, South Korea and things mm-hmm. like that, it's almost to a point, I won't say non-existent, but I, I'll say it's way, way less than what it is here. And when it first started out, they had higher numbers mm-hmm. than we had. And, you know, it's just a mindset of, okay, we're this is the situation we're in as a country. Let's be as a collective to work together and combat this. And, you know, and now they're in a good place. You can look at technology. You know, technologically, they're way more advanced than we are now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a lot of stuff that, that we enjoy um, or use as entertainment in America comes from countries like that. And I think it's, it's not only because, you know, they worked hard or anything, because a lot of Americans work hard as a lot of the things that can come out of America but I think just as a collective, everybody is on the same page and they work towards a common goal. And then as a, and it, it reflects on the things that, you know, that they produce or the way they handle problems within their own country.
2: Mm-hmm. I think yeah, that, you could, oh, uh, I no, think- no, no, go ahead. Okay, I think that like, uh, there, I think those countries, cause I've been to Europe and other countries that have more public transportation and like spaces for people to walk have, they are out within their own communities way more than people here in the United States. Like if you were just to take a walk, just because you wanted to take a walk, Mm -hmm. people look at you funny and they're like, Oh, you walked here? Or like, Oh, you did this. Um, It's like, yeah, it's, like a couple blocks away, why would I hop in my car and waste some gas just to drive two minutes? Like it's not that far. And there, there's a safe, like they have safe uh, walking paths or biking paths. And they're able to like see their neighbors rather than with us here. I think with the invention of the automobile, it took us out of the streets and into our nice little private boxes to get from point A to point B. Like you don't, Maybe if you carpool, yeah, you'll see people you already know in the carpool, like your friend or your roommate or whatever. Um, but you don't you're not picking people up off the street and just taking them somewhere where you're going as well. like that's what like a bus is, and then you would have a conversation on the bus or the train. Um, but here you don't have that opportunity because you're placed in your own private transportation machine, and then our cities are built around that, even though our cities don't really truly support that kind of infrastructure because bigger cities like New York, they weren't built for the car because traffic is crazy there and like different cities like around the United States aren't built to support the car. And that's why suburbs started to pop up or one of the reasons why suburbs started to pop up was because people wanted to avoid traffic, But in turn, they created even more traffic because they're commuting into the city and avoiding the whole community aspect and the individualistic mindset is solidified in this, like, quote-unquote, idea of freedom that this car, this machine provides.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, As with, uh, you know, the podcast, as one of the hosts, I always have to be the bad guy. So those of you can look like <laughs> perfect people. So um, so I will say, right, right, not to, to be necessarily the right-wing view, but to say I do believe that it helps whenever a country has uh, what they consider a homogenous ethnic population to get along and to not move out Um, Like take Japan, which has nearly entirely ethnic Japanese barring the Ainu people who are being systemically oppressed and um, sort of speak um, removed from existence, uh, being integrated into normal society and people saying that the Ainu population is extinct, even though there are some of them still remaining. Or to Finland, Sweden with the Sami people who have just now been granted the right to be the only forest rangers in Swedish parks, but before they were just being absorbed into the Swedish population up until probably the 70s. So I would say that countries who now have extremely positive social progress also um, convince themselves that everyone in the country is perhaps not the same, but at least from a similar cultural background so that makes it a lot easier to get along with someone if you know you come from the same place and a large region while we also moved into the suburbs where white people mm-hmm. avoiding minorities yeah. moving into the cities closer to their jobs yes just you know no. just to be the bad guys so Does that makes sense yeah
2: the suburbs things. are another form of yeah racism for sure as well as like the building of the highways to get the white flight population to those suburbs and I think it's just Mm -hmm. the car Mm -hmm. helped with that and it yeah uh, um but yeah that makes some sense I don't know let me let me think on this for a little bit but the suburbs are something else that I have a lot of problems with. Um.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so I'll just add a few more details um, to, to help coax your thinking, no, yeah. not to manipulate your thoughts in any way, but to just provide more information for like um, ethnically mm-hmm. homogenous cultures. So I think specifically of a place like, I don't know, yeah. England compare it to um a place like let's say South Africa. Boom boom. So two colonial mm-hmm. bodies that are sort of heterogeneous but both faults of their own from the mainstream society, obviously South Africa colonized by the Dutch, the Boers, mm-hmm. as well as the English, and then England. 1066, the, the Battle of Hastings um, with the French-Norman conquest, but also the uh, former Great British Kingdom, uh, the Empire, um, inhabiting other places, removing slaves. So now you've added um, heterogeneous culture to the admixture. Um, Africans, Indians, all the places colonized. Now you have people moving to the the abject center of the kingdom and then it starts to throw some a wrench right because in England before slavery was outlawed just like in America it was easy enough to have what appeared to be a perfect society you have a kingdom you have people that look the same we understand that that uh, people who are used as serfs or slaves um, don't have the same rights Mm -hmm. everybody's fine and good whenever you have to begin to give rights to these people, then we have one issue. Um, And that issue is not that they want equality, but because people who are in power don't care if you give other people rights readily. That's not the problem. The problem is whenever you give um, a minority rights to the person who's in hegemony or in the majority, um, leveling out them with you if you used to consider those people nothing but the ground that you walk on and then they're now at the same level as you, what does that mean you are? If you were above them and now they're at the same level as you, does that mean that you're nothing? Or does that mean that you now have to give them the same respect that you later received or mm-hmm. earlier received? So that's, that's the biggest problem um, that a lot of people have. It's not equality, right? Or as I like to say, equity, because giving equality Giving a billionaire a million dollars and giving me a million dollars are going to do two very different things. To the billionaire, it does very little. To Mm -hmm. me, it does a lot. But the problem here is if you make me a billionaire, which is straight up equity, he's going to have a problem because now his billion is equal to everyone else. And now he's no longer at the top, the highest echelon of society. Um, which is what happened um, if you read like Wide Chagasso C, or any of these colonial, post-colonial rewritings, is that uh, just like went on said, whenever the black man achieves a semblance of the same life as a white man, the same education, the white man still sees it as a black man. But a black man who speaks like them, it's just a clever Negro. That's all he is nothing more. So to take Fanon, on, right? This, and this goes along with cars as well. So we start having the right to vote. We start um, driving freely. We start having the same jobs. And then people start talking about title nine, title 10, what mm-hmm. have you, affirmative action. And then the problem here lies, ah, you only got the job because you're a woman. You only got the job because you're Latinx because you're black. And then people begin to use those to, to collect all their feelings of animosity. They start to boil over and start adding reasons. I didn't get the job because I'm a white man. The most um, oppressed people in our modern society is the white man, white man genocide, you know, white male genocide. And then, we, and then we have that and it builds, and then we have racial tension not because of the fault necessarily of the minority though we do play a role it's largely because of white savior complex that quickly enables right like you can't be given rights you have to take your rights like if someone gives you something you have to rest assured that they have something more than you like if i if i give you a hundred dollars then you know without a doubt that I have more than $100 because there's no way I'm going to give you all of my money so you can have more money than me. And then I'm in the same position you were. I would, of course, do this, but a vast majority of people would not do this. So that's how we have to think about it. And the same goes with cars, transportation, bikes. If they give the freedom of the lane, so to speak, to the cyclists, they start building all this infrastructure. And where do we stand? Now we're the demons who drive around in <laughs> petrol engine vehicles, uh, combustion engines. Um, and you are the the good people. But I don't want to do it. I don't want to leave my comfortable life to change for you. So I'm going to say, this is your fault. And then we always got to toss them over with the left wing the liberals. But you know, <laughs> I'm starting to go on a rant. So I drop back. No, out. that's
2: completely true. That's why people don't want to give up one lane of, car traffic to the bike or to the bus um because it takes away something and it brings it to like a more level playing field I guess um but yeah this isn't I think what what I would be advocating for would be like you have the alternative option like you could drive the car if you want to um i'm not gonna judge you for it because, yeah, people do need to drive. I get that like people carry heavy things, but I wouldn't be able to do like construction jobs on a bike like that's not feasible that's not possible um so yeah, drive your car to the construction site or whatever um but I think it's just it would be to provide a safe option and a safe alternative to driving instead of being like no more cars, which. Honestly, that'd be cool, but I know that's not possible. And that's not what people want. And that's not how like achieving this society that I think we can achieve is going to be, that's not the path that I want to take. It's just, yeah, providing those safe alternatives to have the option to not drive and not get run off the road or to not get potentially hit by a car that's not paying attention or whatever, because traffic accidents or uh, car related incidents are one of the like higher um, it's one of the like biggest causes of death between uh, five five and 29 year olds like it, it that's how more people die through like a traffic accident than like through other things like a decent amount of people have been killed that way and I think the number keeps going up and up and it's not going down like how people thought with the introduction of these safety features into these cars.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you there. Um, whenever I think of you mentioning all these deaths happening, um, it does, it has to resonate with some of our listeners. Um, certainly does with me, but also, um, Whenever I think of the law, like uh, one of my uh, friends from long ago, his father is a member of the establishment, we'll say, who gives people tickets and citations. Um, So he said he only needs 85% of people to follow the speed limit and to follow road laws, and then other people will self-legislate. He says that being said, it never works out. As if 85% of the people follow the road rules, then 1 in that 15% are going to be the guys who are slingshotting through traffic on a six-lane highway, just going through cars, weaving, and they okay. kill someone on a motorcycle.
2: And that's... okay. I, and so you introduce the automobile into a street filled with pedestrians, horse-drawn carriages, bicycles, and all these things. And of course, a mess is going to happen. So you have a small tiny police force, barely, because this was before police wore uniforms and they couldn't issue traffic citations or traffic tickets to this. And they're like, and this is when everyone, literally everyone started to break the law because all these traffic laws were introduced to prevent these deaths. And so everyone then became someone who broke the law instead of just someone who was like, because this is when vagrancy laws were a thing. Like, the police would be like, oh, no, you're drunk, get out of the city, mm-hmm. like, go sleep in the forest or whatever. Um, but this would be the introduction of like a democratized police force, and how do you decide who to ticket and who not to ticket? And that's a big discussion about automobiles and police forces, and how because everyone started breaking the law, and they're like, why is everyone breaking the law? Now, And they couldn't figure it out. And we still can't figure it out. It's just like, why does the everyday citizen who's following the law in general, like they're not going out and murdering anyone, but then they like forget to signal and they don't, they take an illegal right turn or whatnot. They just broke the law. That's someone who wouldn't consider themselves a lawbreaker, but they just broke a law that we have or all these kinds of things. And that's just like a dilemma. Like what, what about the automobile Makes the everyday person who follows rules a lawbreaker.
1: Yeah, yeah I just kind of find it very interesting mm-hmm. because just in living in the city of Atlanta, um, it's a lot of. I mean, traffic is traffic is very weird. I I remember. Um, being younger and used you to always think of traffic as being very accident based, which is most of the time that's where it comes from. But I think with the evolution of time, too, it's just people not paying attention and becoming focused when on the road, when conducting their motor vehicle. Yes. Um, you can, there's, I remember, I just remember there was some, uh, I think it was on Channel 2 Action News, which is in Atlanta, and they were, uh basically giving mm-hmm. an aerial view of traffic and like on I-20, which is kind of like one of the major highways. Yeah. And literally, traffic will be started just because somebody is going under the speed limit. And why are they doing that? They're probably on the phone texting or looking at, you know, Snapchat, snap, YouTube, mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it creates miles and miles of traffic and then you have you have like how as Rita's describing, you have your occasional people in Atlanta who have fast vehicles and they're impatient or just, you know, the mindset of and I think that's another mindset Americans have is the the instant gratification, the, the speed of having things right at that moment. <clears throat> like if I'm on the highway, even though I um, my GPS estimated time and, and sometimes I'm I'm a victim of this mindset too my my time on my GPS says I'll be there in 15 minutes but I think I can get there in, in 10 or 9 so you know you have these people weaving weaving yes. through the highway, and then there's somebody that's but it never but works, never works. You, never, you, you, get on, you either get on time like the GPS tells you or I'm, I'm going to describe which I've seen uh I think it was, like, the first day of August. It was, like, I was going to, like, my my cousin's birthday party. It was in Atlanta. Um, And it was, like, a little small gathering. And it was, like, a three-car, like, accident. And these three guys, or I think it was three three guys, so it was two in one vehicle, and then one person in one and another person. They were, like, weaving through the highway. And the person's car who got... So messed up was they were trying to switch lanes, uh, which what it looked like, because it was in the middle of the highway, which is horrible. It, it creates horrible traffic because everybody has to divert to the, either the far left or the far right, mm-hmm. and their whole back end was messed. up. These guys probably going eighty, ninety miles per hour, racing each other, or you know, weaving through stuff like that, and it causes major, major accidents. So it's like. On one hand, you know, creating a bike lane shouldn't be so difficult, but also, again, which has just become the anchor point to this this conversation, is like the mindset has to change on how you do things like that because, you know, in these accidents, and and luckily the people that were in that accident are okay. I mean, their cars were destroyed, but that's minor to your life. But you got to understand, too, the variables of that happen being so high and then you're somebody on a bicycle or a motorcycle, it's it's so... It's just not safe. Even, like, people on motorcycles in Atlanta a lot. I see there's a lot of motorcycle clubs or motorcycle groups, and they're speeding and weaving through traffic. And somebody can go on, be going only, like, 15, 20 miles per hour just switching lanes. If you hit somebody's car going that fast, it's fatal. So I think a lot of... Um, you know, the things those officers say about if 85% of people follow the law and the other people will self legislate and those things, I think it needs to be a whole structural change of just motor vehicle knowledge and, you know, and things of that nature in order for that to truly, truly work. Because I've seen like, um, like even in like cities like in Germany, um, in like Leipzig or in the uh Mexico City. They're like their actual city where everything goes on. There's no space for you to drive. Everybody's walking and riding bike. I think like I know there's only like a couple of little places like that in Atlanta. Like Atlantic Station is a big part like you I mean you could drive your vehicle but you're not there's no yes. point. You might as well just get out and walk. So a lot of people Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're there's absolutely right. a lot of, right. station, a lot of bicycles, but, like, you have to drive. So I think what needs to happen now is first, you have to change how we how we police and conduct motor vehicles. I think it, if, if if we are allowing more bike lanes, just on, you know, regular streets and other stuff like that, we have to become more strict on these motor vehicles and, uh, and it and it may you know, it may be hard to change, but I think it's a change for the better to lessen those motor vehicle accidents and fatalities due to not paying attention or trying to drive fast or just other variables like that. And then I think the implementation of cities where it forces you to actually get out into the streets on your feet, or if you don't want to be on your feet, get a bicycle, you know, um it'll it'll open up the world in a in a different way. Like I don't know if you guys heard about this but just during COVID nineteen when everybody was had to stay in their homes and things like that. People were saying like, you know, the earth I mean like the air quality was so much cleaner and it was like so much more wildlife was able to come out and, you know, <clears throat> walk on the, the empty streets and things of that nature. And people were starting to get bicycles and, you know, exercise and do different things like that. And it's crazy that it takes like a a modern-day pandemic for people to really, you know, actually explore these things. But um, <clears throat> I think people are can be more open to it now because they see, like, okay, a bike, not only is it, you know, I can enjoy myself on it, you know, this is a good means of transportation. And it's like uh, it could be a good – fitness it, it's just it's just a plethora of things that you can benefit from having a bicycle on top of once um eventually if it does happen you implement just a range for bicyclists to ride on it wouldn't be a problem saying like oh you know i can't get to my my job on time or i can't get to point a to B on time because there's no lanes for bicycles. it gives you the option everybody may not choose it But for the people that are bike enthusiasts or people that rather use a bike for economic or financial reasons, it gives them that space in order to do it. Because like you said earlier Mm -hmm. in the um, conversation later, that people really only live, um, majority of the people might live uh, at at most 8 to 10 miles away or a mile away. Uh, And if it's like a mile away and they don't mind riding a bike, I see the problem. You're saving potentially uh, 20 bucks every, you know, two weeks in your pocket I'm just riding them. So I think there's just so many beneficial things, but just the anchor point of our conversation now is just the mindset has to change and the, the laws, the certain laws that we do have placed but not are really enforced need to be enforced in order for that to actually work and um, to provide safety for these people that want to get on bikes and motorcycles and be able to, you know, enjoy the Enjoy the road with uh, other four wheeled vehicles, and then these cities that promote you to actually walk and to uh, ride bicycles. Because I know in Atlanta, there's a, like downtown Atlanta is beautiful, but there's no, there's not a lot of crosswalk that can get you to different lanes like that, um, and it would just be easier for you to get in your car to drive. And I think if we started implementing that then people would. I have more options to say, hey, I can walk outside my house and, you know, walk into this thing. But I think it also goes back to the suburbs thing, too, because the suburbs, it kind of takes you away from that environment. So you don't really, you don't become accustomed to that and you don't really have the options. Like if I walk outside of my neighborhood right now, there is like a, it's like a sidewalk for a little while and it just goes in the grass. You're either walking in the grass to get over to the yeah. Walmart or the laundromat or things of that nature, or you just get in a a, a car. And then now, I think as of lately, they built more sidewalk, but they don't lead anywhere. It's just like you're it's just like you're walking. So I think too, <clears throat> it needs to to uh, our, our whole restructuring. If it happens of, uh, you know, new places, because, like, Atlanta is a big city. I mm-hmm. know I'm talking about Atlanta a lot, but it's just growing. It's more people are coming here. So there's going to be more spaces that they modernize and develop. I think what how you guys are saying and what you organize, Layla, can actually truly happen, but they have to be in that mindset, that frame of mind, if you get what I'm saying.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think with, like, the COVID pandemic, with the pandemic and stuff, um businesses were really reluctant to like reduce the amount of car traffic that they have in front of or near their businesses because they're like, well, if you prevent cars from coming near my business, I'll lose business, and you don't want a local small business to go out of business now, do you? And it's like with this pandemic, it's shown that with less people in their cars and more people being like, well, I'm stuck inside all the time. Why would I want to sit inside of another inside, like inside of a car? Um, I'm going to get out and walk businesses with the streets closed down and having to sit outside because of this pandemic businesses haven't like I mean granted they've gone out of business because our government isn't doing what they need to do but that's a different conversation it's you have you don't lose business because people can't drive there if anything you might increase business because who wants to sit outside and watch cars go by at 40 miles per hour? Like, that's not fun to look at. Um, I want to sit outside and look at people walking by or seeing people like play in the nearby area or like whatever, like people watching. I don't want to watch someone drive their car down the street at 40 miles per hour. Um, And so these businesses are trying to, I think it's like the slight mind, mind, mind. Oh man. I'm losing it. Mind shift, like that shift in mindset. There we go. Um, to have these spaces that people want to go to and frequent because no one wants to sit and watch traffic. Like that's no, that's not no fun. I'd rather sit in a park or sit outside in a park and watch people walk around, all that kind of stuff. And people are starting to realize that I think. And it sucks that a pandemic needed to happen for people to realize that that's what they wanted.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with everything that's said. Um, (laughs) As a bad guy, I have to say, I blame (laughs) everybody else for traffic and not myself. Um, I blame everybody else for the pandemic and not myself. Um, But I do joke about this, but realistically, everything you guys have said is very important. And I hope our audiences um, is going to listen to this thoroughly. Because the points that you guys made uh, were great. Traffic, uh, just to go over a few, traffic is predominantly caused by people not paying attention. What I've noticed, um, I'm sure both of you can concur with this, is that it's from people waiting too long to get into an exiting lane in the U.S. That's the right lane. Um, Waiting until Mm -hmm. two miles before their exit to try to cross over um, 500 cars. And then everybody is stopped. Letting them cross over that multiplies exponentially as you go back. And then the person at the very end is sitting there for five minutes because one person is crossing three whole lanes <laughs> to get yes, to man, an exit that's one comedy, and a half miles.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nobody reads the sides. You don't need a map once you get into Atlanta. You just need to read the <laughs> sides. Please, if you're if you're on eighty-five. Literally, all of the streets are bisected. It's it's a large city that does have um, a grid pattern. So if you just get on one street and you know the general area, you can open up Google Maps if you want, but you can find where you're going. Just get off on a lane. If, if it's two miles down, people who are listening, if your exit is not two miles because you were doing something foolish on your phone, it's too bad. Wait <laughs> for the next exit don't cow don't yeah, hit people on bikes like, look.
2: stop it's ridiculous stop. you have to i don't know yeah people need to be trained to look around themselves first because the streets aren't empty anymore like there's always yeah that's when most accidents between cars and bicycles happen is when someone is making a right turn and they don't look to see if there's a cyclist in there rear view mirror or on their side mirror or just out their window um yeah that's when i've had the most run-ins is when i think it's called the right hook it's when they hook you right in front of you and they, yeah i've thankfully yeah. yet to be hit but i'm waiting for the day uh because i'm sure it'll probably oh, yeah. happen Because people do not pay attention um oh yeah
0: oh, but yeah yeah, you, really
2: yeah look around
0: i've had the pleasure <laughs> i've had the pleasure of being hit not very hard
2: i'm like, sure you know,
0: it uh it wasn't enjoyable one of my friends destroyed someone's windshield and then another friend um got up and the guy offered our money i think it was like all right yeah was like i
2: yelled at countless people i've waved i've I don't know. Yeah. I get sometimes pretty aggressive on my bike just because I'm like, you're in a death machine. Like your truck is massive or your car, whether it be a Prius or a massive truck, like you're mm-hmm. still going to do damage to a human body. Like there's nothing is the worst that's going to happen oh, to you yeah. is like, I'll maybe crack your windshield with my, the force that my body hits your car. Like that's probably the worst thing that could happen. You'll be fine. I'll have to go to the hospital. Or I'll be dead. Like, you're driving metal, like 4,000 pounds of metal around, yeah. and I'm out in the open, naked to the elements. Like, I, yeah, let's just take a second, yeah. like one second. If you're running late, that's on you and not me, the bike who's riding on a bike lane street, slowing you down. Like, my two seconds in front of you is not going to increase or decrease the likelihood of you getting somewhere on time like we end up at the red light together who what time did you save none and now you're just mad at me for no reason
0: (laughs) yeah i i completely agree with that and as we have covered a lot of topics so we've gone to Economic standards, bicycles, of course. Let's let's slowly sashay somewhere else that's directly related to our topics. Uh, Nehemiah Johnson or Layla, would you like to pick the next
2: subtopic? I don't. I don't know. I mean, um, we could. Yeah, we could
0: discuss electronics. uh,
2: um, yeah, or I don't know how cycling can be used as a organizing revolutionary tool um
1: kind of kind of just help with that too. how you were speaking about um how your uh, your organization just brings a collective of different people. I feel like we as Americans. Sometimes don't see the benefit. You know, we only see things literally,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like oh, this is just a a bicycle club, or this is just a you know a fan club mm-hmm. or whatever kind of club. But we don't see the subproducts of what comes out of said organization or club. So
2: okay, yeah.
1: If you. Yeah, if yeah. You can kind of piggyback off of like, you know, maybe things you didn't really expect to come out of your bike organization or the people that you've met that influence your way of being an organizer or future top future things you would like to organize or be a part of.
2: For sure. Um, so I always thought cycling was just like a sport where people put on those spandex outfits and eight disgusting, like, goo packets. Um, which, I mean, yeah, that if that floats your boat, then that floats your boat. You, you do that. Like, that's cool. That's fun. Like, I know a lot of people who ride their bikes like that. And that's completely valid form of exercise and enjoyment that people get. Granted, I don't find much enjoyment in eating those disgusting goo packets. Like, no thank you. Um, but for me... Cycling, yeah, was a sport and it was a, uh, an exercise that I did. Um, but now it's more of like a mode of transportation, one. And two, it's a, a way of seeing different things that you wouldn't normally see within a car. And this is something that has stuck with me since high school, since joining that cycling club. Um, was like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing all these details and these people and people are waving at me when they're walking their dog which wouldn't happen if you're in a car like how many people wave at you when you drive your car through a neighborhood like maybe your next door neighbor if you have a relationship with them or if you see them um but yeah when I ride my bike to work like I see maybe four or five people and granted they don't all wave at me and I try to get them all to wave at me because it brings me an immense amount of joy um but yeah, it's like it's it's me being out and within the community without that barrier between me and the outside. Like if someone wanted to talk to me, they could be like, hey, and I'd probably stop and talk to them for a little bit. Um, so that's another thing that I've gained from through bikes and through cycling is that sense of community or belonging to something bigger than work and friends um, there's that um what else i think and and like a sense of confidence as well because i don't need to rely on anyone else to be able to get from point a to point b like i don't need to rely on the bus because the bus in albuquerque is yeah. it's got its problems and granted i love the bus in all forms um but yeah like it's not reliable like if i miss the bus i'll be 30 minutes late and i don't like being late it gives me so much stress um so i can take my bike and ride somewhere and I don't have to rely on someone to give me a ride or the bus or whatever. Um, yeah, it gives me that sense of confidence in myself and my navigational skills and all of that stuff. And yeah, that's outside of the bike, but that has something that has come through the tool of the bike.
1: Hmm. And you. I think it's just really interesting how uh wow. I was gonna say this one thing. I just really think it's interesting how, you know, when you find things in your passion and in the uh, multiple things that, you know, tend to grow and bloom out of something like that. Like you took mm-hmm. something, you know, biking which was uh something that you like to do, that you love to do and Within that, it opens you up to so many other avenues of things that you can, you know, develop within your own community, which I think is really cool. And I think, especially during these times, those are the things that people can look back on and say, you know, wow, like I had an impact on humanity, Mm -hmm. even in... Even if, even, if, even if it's on a small scale, like if it's just an Albuquerque, you have impacted Albuquerque in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes we as human beings may feel uh, like a minuscule piece and a big, you know, big machine of just people doing stuff and we don't feel like our impact is biggest as other people's impact, but I always stress the people that I come across. Is like never compare yourself, and I don't think of you as somebody that truly tries to compare. Like, oh, what I did is not as big as what somebody else has done. Mm-hmm. But just always know that like the things you're doing in your community has impacted somebody in some way. You gave them uh, opportunity or uh, uh, avenue to express themselves, and I just think that's so important, especially during this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just you know, and um, one other question I just wanted to ask is this like your main you know kind of thing you you do on a regular basis, and do you are you planning on doing any more types of organiza- organizing in your community and possibly you know uh, going kind of further out.
2: Um, yeah, I, this is my main thing. This is the thing that I'm like pretty passionate about and it can be used intersectionally as like environmentalist or like I, I, I sometimes say that the bike is it's well, it's revolutionary. Um, and it's, it's subversive to the overarching like structure that we exist in because you're expected to have a car and you're expected to do things a certain way. And so I think the bike can be used to reach and branch out into all these different, like, like anti-racist work or environmentalist work or whatever. Um, and so I think that that's like my center thing that I found that I'm like extremely passionate about because I think it's important to not wear yourself out by trying to fight 50 different battles. Like, like you find that one thing and you're gonna stick with that one thing. And that one thing can be helpful to this overarching other 50 things. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, I'm planning on doing more organizational things. This bike group that I started, that's called the Ciclistes Chiones, which is the crying cyclist, basically, which I think is kind of funny. It's mm-hmm. like a play on the sad boy trope, um, mm-hmm. but it's the sad girl. But I want it to be more inclusive to just rather than to just women. Um, right. And so that's just like one aspect. <laughs> for me. And then through El Chante, my job, I, we were organizing a a youth cycling group within the summer. um, But COVID happened, so that didn't happen. Um, But we were going to spend like a week or two with a group of 12 to 14 youth um, within the community of either like South Broadway area in Albuquerque, South Valley, Martinez town, like those areas are largely left out of the conversation um, within Albuquerque politics and where the city funding goes. And I think empowering youth is very important to give them like these confidence skills that don't, o- that don't only apply to the bicycle, they can apply to school or to just like friendships or talking to new people. Um, and and or encouraging their parents to be like, hey, this is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, can I keep doing this? And then the parents will be like, yeah, of course. Or well, hopefully they'll be like, yeah, of course. Um, let's go ride our bikes on this on Saturday, um, and then the whole family can go ride their bikes to like the ice cream shop or whatever. Um, so we were gonna do that and teach like mechanics, and. Um, bike safety and bike confidence and bike skills and just go on bike rides and hang out. But that got postponed because of COVID. And so that's yeah. also something that I'm really passionate about is getting more youth on bikes because, I don't know, there was one incident in Tucson where some driver got super mad at me and a group of kids riding our bikes in the, in the designated bike street. Um, there was a bike avenue. The speed limit for cars was like 10 miles per hour. So I don't know where homie was going in such a rush. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think empowering, like, yeah, having that um, mind shift change in the youth is important because maybe pester their parents more about it. And then their parents will be like, well, my kid won't stop talking about this and then they'll pester the politicians, and then the politicians will be like, "Okay, yeah, fine, whatever." We'll put in a bike lane here, um, and I think, yeah, that would be super beneficial, and also just having confidence within yourself and your community, and building that sense of community instead of individualism. And so yeah, that's all.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I was uh, (laughs) was good. I was thorough. Um, So so here here I come Um, as a as a conservative uh, person who lives in the southeast. I may or may not be involved (laughs) in the the Baptist Church. Um, You know, I say, cool. My taxpayer money is going to build these extra bike lanes. Um, the closest town or mm-hmm. city to us is 15 miles away. What need do I have for a bike lane? I'm not riding my bike 15 miles to to, to random city in Georgia so people don't find out where I live. Uh, what, what, what
2: need um, do I have for the bike lane? Maybe you personally don't have a need for the bike lane, but maybe your next-door neighbor has a need for the bike lane, or... You could change. You don't need to ride to that random town. You can just ride through your own town. Um, who says you need to go 15 miles for anything? Ah. Um, you can just ride your bike to yeah. your grandma's house or to church. Mm. And okay. yeah, okay. you don't. I okay. think it'd be important to be, if you're involved within the church community, don't you want to, commute with your fellow church members to said church. I think then you could have conversations before and after church Mm. and you can be like, Oh, how's your kids doing? Um, Are they still involved in not church? And they'll be like, yes, my kids are involved in not church. I wish they would (laughs) be involved in church. And then you'd be like, well, maybe if they got on their bicycle, they could be involved in church again, or they could just hear, Everything passed down from the bike ride and not even have to be involved in the church. But yes, I think that'd be yeah, you don't need to ride Mm -hmm. fifty miles Mm -hmm. anywhere, you can just ride ten minutes to the church down the street. Cool.
0: So 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 whenever you started to describe the the kids, I just imagine right, a nice bike lane on the going down to this random uh, town center where the mm-hmm. church is about five miles down the street. It was clear as day in my head. The the parents, grandparents turn to the right. The kids keep moving. We're not going to church, but we're glad to yeah. talk about it. And they just keep rolling down the street. Herein lies uh, the issue, though, particular in my area. Nehemiah, um, you live closer to where you, <laughs> know, you got Whole Foods, aka anti-vaxxers and other people. Uh, but here in northeast Georgia, Almost every single town is a food desert. Because um, th- we have spacing, like cities between these towns are usually 12 miles away. That's not that far. Mm-hmm. I could ride a bike that far. A lot of people couldn't. So you have like, I don't I don't know if you've been to places like this, but like Dills, um, Dollar General. I know what Piggly like, Wiggly said, is. Piggly Wiggly. No one knows what that is.
2: Um, Barely, though. I've never
0: been. Oh, okay. Okay. So places like this. <laughs> um But, like, places that that have, like, I don't know, like, meat? Mm -hmm. Disgusting. Um, Chips, like, sodas, maybe some Mm -hmm. water, and then, like, just a bunch of snacks, and -hmm. then other things that you don't actually need. Frozen food, but they don't have any, like, fruit, vegetables, um, anything in them. So, So what do I do with that? I'm riding my bike into my own town to be with my community, and then I fuel up. a place that doesn't have things that that could actually fuel me healthily for a long and uh, joyous life of being a, a cyclist
2: that's a whole conversation that could be tied with cycling of course there's this instagram that i found and it comes from all these mutual aid networks that are popping up because of covid and the lack of action from our government providing these resources that they should be providing Um, it's granted it's in Seattle, which is where all these things, all these cool things happen sometimes. Um, And they pair, they've partnered with local farms and they take their leftover food. And it's kind of like a virtual farmer's market where people who I guess, who, I don't know if it's like specifically for low income or just whoever decides to apply for these food bags um, and so they partner with these farms and then they pick up all this food. They separate it into these food bags that people have requested and they ride their bike from the farm to this person's house to drop off this food. And I think that closes an import, like a gap that mm-hmm. exists because, yeah, farms do kind of waste food sometimes. And especially since restaurants aren't operating at full capacity, they're also losing money because all their produce isn't being bought up. And so you can close that gap by providing food to the community and doing it in a almost zero carbon footprint way. Um, That'd be interesting to see happen in a place like Georgia or the Southeast. You could, I don't know how many farms are over there because I haven't personally been to Georgia so then Mm, yeah there's this there's food deserts and then there's this gap that's existing there and so yeah maybe you group a bunch of crazy cyclists together who are passionate about not wasting food and not driving a car and partner with these farms Mm. and then be like hey here's some fresh fruits and vegetables for whoever wants them and we'll drop them off right at your door so there's like there's almost no excuse to not get the fresh fruits and vegetables. But yeah, I think that'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see happen in a place that's not Seattle because it honestly makes a lot of sense that that would happen there. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And now that we've manage i'm glad you said seattle now um just just Mm -hmm. a quick side you know an aside to the pacific northwest um a lot of people talk about the pacific northwest talk about how progressive it is and how like a microcosm of social justice it is but i would just like to address the the historical yeah, foundations
2: for Oregon. They're white safety Washington, teams, weren't they? As, as, yeah, they're like based ahead. around like, no, yes, I don't want to be yes, living with a yes, bunch of more. people of color. That's gross. We're going to move to Seattle. And that's why it's predominantly white. Yeah, And that's why there's Proud Boys that exist there because they remember those origins. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why can't we go back? And I'm like, 2020, man, come on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, specifically Oregon, that's a place like um, a lot of the West was to where we won't say slavery is legal, mm-hmm. but we also won't say anything about it. So if you want to come up to Oregon, we're just not going to, we're going to pretend okay. like you're not doing <laughs> Yeah, it. so. Yeah, so. so uh, yeah, so like there are I don't know I don't know what the proportions are. Like Portland, Oregon, like looks progressive and whatnot. So you could probably get oh, yeah. away with being like I watch Portlandia so, yeah. and they address it sometimes. Uh that that you can be like white and have any other type of intersectional relationship with the world. So be be of differing gender than what is um recognized by, you know, conservatives or be of like multi-ethnic background, you know, list off your 120 different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. As long as you're white passive or Asian, then you're fine in Seattle. But as soon as there's a black guy in Seattle, everyone notices because I think what is it? It's mm-hmm. less than 3% of Washington's population that recognizes themselves as African-American only. So like, that's crazy to think, that um, Pacific Northwest is seen, of course, by, you know, like rock climbers or or like, you know, <laughs> guys who are singer-songwriters who wear, um, you know, pastels and, and brown shirts and live a minimal lifestyle yeah. a band. Of course it looks like a haven. But if you're a Black guy who's a rock climber and you go up there, you're going to notice immediately it's not the place for you, especially now with, um, with the protests and the the political violence, the police, it's definitely not the place to be a
2: minority. And yeah, I think that's why we shouldn't be looking to Portland or Seattle or like California at that as well. Um, Or those like places that we look to specifically. I mean, even right now for the Black Lives Matter movement People are like, well, look at Portland. They've been protesting for however many days. I'm like, yeah, but like, why are you paying attention to those ones and not the ones happening in um, in Atlanta or wherever, they're, wherever else they're happening because they're happening all over the place and they have been happening yes. for just as yeah. long, but they're not being like, well, this place has been protesting for 80 days as well, just like pro- Portland. Um, and so I think it, yeah, I think this is why, creating these things in spaces that wouldn't normally have these things created for them and having someone just start it. Because if you see a hole in what, uh, how did I describe this to someone? It's like, if you see it, it's like a gap, if you see a gap and no one's currently filling it, that means that you should probably fill it yourself if you're passionate enough about it. And so, Yeah, like maybe in the in Georgia and someone's passionate enough about it, they can be like, hey, local farmers, I'm going to set up this thing. I've got volunteers. We'll sell your food and we'll do it via bike or we'll do it via something else um, to close those food deserts or at Mm -hmm. least provide some form of alternative nutrition rather than just the dollar general, which also I think happens pretty frequently here in more rural New Mexico is like there's the Walmart or the dollar general that you can pick from. And I think providing those closing that gap that you see by doing it yourself and getting another group, a group of passionate people together and being like, Hey, this is something that is really important. And this is the vehicle that I'm going to do it with. And that may be the bicycle or that may be like a truck and that's fine because I don't know, yeah, riding with 20 pounds worth of groceries on your back or on your bike 15 miles may not sound like fun to everyone. So you can drive those 15 miles, Mm -hmm. but you're you're closing that gap nonetheless. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, wow. Um, So right now, right now, whenever you're talking about closing that gap, one thing I noticed, right, just to reconnect it, to what's happening right now um, with the protest and whatnot. And then I love I love that our chat has been surrounding bikes, mm-hmm. cycling in general this entire time. Um, so like I look at specifically um, pictures coming from um, like Seattle, obviously not like Choptown, Town, not, not these places, but like, you know, you see Black Lives Matter pictures and there's Mm -hmm. not a single Black person in the marches, that probably lets you know your focus shouldn't be on that. And then um, what else? What else was it? I was going to say Ah, ah, in Asheville. So I was in Asheville, and there was a Black Lives Matter protest. And there were some guys who may have been of the I would say this, the hipster persuasion, you know, locks, <laughs> um, smelled kind of like turmeric. The co um, you know, you know, brown clothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the guys who shop for oddly shaped fruit specifically, even though it costs more than the other shaped fruit. Yes. it just happens to be non-genetically modified. Um, so these guys were like, no, no. Um, since they they like came up to to a few of us who happen to be an actual, and they go like, hey, man. Um, How do you feel about those monuments? And I was like, well, they're not cool. We don't like them. And it's like, cool. So I'm about to call our representative. And I think um, if I give you the phone, will you speak? Because I think it'll have more weight if a black voice speaks on behalf of this. And I was like, yeah, sure, maybe. But we're marching right now for police violence. And they are like, both these issues are important. And I was like, ah, see, the one thing that's easy enough whenever you come from a privileged position, you think you could split yeah. your resources and do both things. But we have to focus on one as a minority group. We have to push forward on one. Because whenever we start to disseminate, start to split up amongst multiple things, mm-hmm. then it looks like we don't have a clear mm-hmm. cause. It looks like we're unorganized. And then nobody's going to listen. So whenever I see um, allies mm-hmm. being unaligned, right, saying, oh, let's worry about these monuments now. We can worry about these monuments any day. A, a, a ten Yeah, know, it's like they're not the going chains, anywhere I'm right now. That's not a problem. They're permanent. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh my Yeah. So I just I that's all I'm seeing. So like with the cycling as well, I'm seeing um like dispersion of causes, like like you said, with uh grown men telling you, if you're not at the same level as me, I don't want to cycle with you, or mm-hmm. um, you're you're already lost, um, like a lost cause, if mm-hmm. you're not um, doing the same things as us, like this, yeah, this dichotomy, this false dichotomy created amongst communities is probably Yeah,
2: and I think, yeah, it's, it's like if you, granted all these issues are valid, and they're they all need to be addressed but I think yeah if you address police brutality first you can probably reduce some of the other issues down to smaller easier to to defeat issues like easier to reduce even further because yeah with the police violence um, it it prevents a lot of other things from happening like you can't do a lot of other things because of the threat of police violence you couldn't rent strike maybe because yeah the police are going to show up and they're going to kick down your door and they're going to drag you out that's just the reality of it so if you either reduce funding to the police so that they don't have as much money or you abolish them completely you can tackle these other issues that they would be standing in the way of maybe like wealth distribution as well because the police serve the property values and property and wealthy people. Like that's what they do. They keep you locked in place as the working lower class. Like that's where you belong and you're not going to be able to move into a wealthier neighborhood. And if you do, you'll be met with suspect. And... Yes, yeah, so once you get the police out of the way, you could probably do a lot of other things. And it's, it's looking at the... It's the long game. Because focusing on these smaller issues um, distracts you from the bigger issue that you're trying to address. And I think that's a, also a problem that happens within Western thinking or just like in movements in general is that It factions out because there's, yeah, there's 50 million different tiny little problems, but this is the big picture problem that we could fix for the generations to come. Like, we, yeah, we might not be able to move out of the two-party system right now, but maybe with Joe Biden being elected, you could move into a three-party system or something instead of just solidifying a one-party system. Or something like that, and it's 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 the breaking down of looking into the future, and just looking into tomorrow, instead of from now or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's all I have got to say on that. Well, I've got more to say, but that'll take all day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, it's a, it's just a really dense. It's a dead? Subject and topic matter, just um, going on in our country. Um, and kind of like what you guys are talking about, how the media is focusing on two states that, if you look at it demographically, doesn't even have a large percentage of African Americans there. It's kind of like the manipulation. Uh, a movement and its message. Um, And that's kind of like the whole basis of, I think George Floyd was the the last bit of pressure in the pressure cooker that blew the top off. There's been a lot of stuff that we've been seeing. I can remember it. When I first went into college in 2016, um, before I even, on move-in day, there was things going on with you know police brutality
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know and things of that nature and then when I get out of college I graduate it's the same thing and I just think now it's the whole system is just geared towards uh breaking down a movement of something that actually needs change and like Like you said, it's so much that we could talk about, but I think, you know, when we have this space, we should really talk about it because it's, because the message keeps getting, it keeps either getting marginalized or it keeps becoming uh, minimized to to a point where not a lot of people are, it's getting to a point now where people don't know what to believe, you know what I'm saying? And it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be like that it was a movement that's very clear and concrete. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a difficult subject matter or what people are asking for concerning Black Lives Matter or other movements. Mm -hmm. You know, um, not just Black Lives Matter, even though that's the one on the forefront kind of right now. Mm -hmm. But I think with, with the media power, you can look on four different news channels right now and they'll all have different kind of angles to this movement. It'll be one showing the peace and uh-huh. the, the mass amount of people out there protesting for change and so many different codes, crees and colors out there together trying to make, you know, a, a, a actual change in the change in the system. Then you'll go to one, two channels down and it's just showing people you know, looting and tearing down stuff and they're like, Well you see This is why it's hard to follow this movement because people are just out here trying to take stuff from the stores and and malls. They're not fighting for black people, you know, stuff like that. So I think, um, you know, what we have to say, and I I talked to Esther about this before, about just how the media and uh, people of influence can kind of change the masses the minds about a certain subject matter or, you know, a movement. And I and I truly believe like because now, you know, Layla, you're a part of the media now with this podcast. You understand? Yeah. Any information that you have <laughs> that kind of sheds light on the actual movement, what people are actually trying to convey you know we should shed light on that instead of the bad actors because they already get they already get enough radio play they already get enough TV time
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's sad because it's, it's it's still to this day you know almost it's almost two hundred days now and there's still more unarmed black men getting killed. Breonna Taylor's killers have not been arrested. Jacob Blake's uh, attempted murderers have not been arrested there's still probably more that have not been recorded or videotaped
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's still, it's just so many things that's going on but it gets hijacked mm-hmm. by you know, the media and, and I think too and I don't know if you guys uh, spoke on this too um, it's just like will this get used as a big talking point and uh, during the election in in November. Like will this is this gonna be the the what swings people's vote to either, you know, the uh Trump or Biden off of this. Because a lot of people think like all of this stuff is just happening because it's just the election year. And once election year happens this will automatically go away, which I don't believe but I'm I just feel like it keeps getting hijacked and the message and just how the message dies out because we just, we, we go, you know, we go and go out and march and protest. I've done my protesting and, you know, we put our stuff on social media and after a while it's like, okay, well, we, we did what we could do. And it like dies out. You know what I'm saying? So I think what, 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 what you said in this podcast, um, you know, and if you have more to say, say it, because I, I promise you, like, we could go, all of us could turn on the news right now, and all of us could find a channel where there's just, they're only focusing on Portland and Seattle. And then, you look at the demographics, there's not not a large percentage of African American people there to represent the movement in a way they want to represent it. It's just people that want to relish in anarchy. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that was just my little rant on that. Because it's just like, it's, it's just kind of hard just being a, a a person of color and that like when you have something um, that you stand for and you want to see actual change um, mm-hmm. and it continues to be hijacked. Especially like when you're in that I mean, all people of color are affected negatively by the system, in a way. But right now, it's being highlight, highlighted mm-hmm. black males. It's very, it's very dangerous. Um, it's very dangerous out here to just even, you know, it to be in a living space. Um, you don't know what can happen in any situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these cases, you know, these people have been unarmed. And the reason for them being murdered there weren't they weren't even violent cases. And then you see things with people that are of violent nature or have violent tendencies and they get a totally different treatment. So it's just um it's a it's a it's a subject matter that I feel like if we can put in our two cents and then help somebody just see the other side because, you know, some people's only form of information is through TV. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's sad or not, that's just the truth. It, that's, that might be their only form, or their Facebook, which is you know, you know how Facebook algorithm works. It might only just show your own political views and things that you agree with. It doesn't show you the other side. You don't get the information. They don't, you know, they don't recognize it, that you know, they're only looking for things through one scope. Um, But yeah, just listening to you guys, I think that it's just very important that um, the message doesn't get hijacked as it so often does with our current president and just the media platforms. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely definitely understand that and you're right we can't let the message get um covered up stuffed into a hole and you know placated like oh we addressed this already because like oftentimes you'll hear people go like why don't you just comply just don't reach for anything and it's like yeah yeah in theory that works if i'm white i come into the situation knowing very well Okay, officer, I'm gonna, I'm just going to reach up here in my sun visor for my license. Okay, go ahead. You know, reach for it. I, I got to let the officer know 12 times. Hey, sir, there's no weapon up here. Please, please, please come closer. Actually, can you open that for me? Just, just My license is right there. My hands are on the steering wheel. Can, can you look at this? It's right there. Right, like, if I come into the situation, I already know from, I was taught this from, I don't know. Yeah, my, you were probably taught this as well. By the time that you're a little boy, don't reach for anything. Just, just comply, listen to exactly what they're saying. But this doesn't matter. And people are like, "Well, you should be respectful. You shouldn't curse them out like sometimes they did." Nah. If you if you put me in handcuffs and put me on the ground, I'm, I'm calling out your whole family. I'm calling out your mother, your your ancestors, your cousins. I'm, I'm slandering everybody who has even 2% of your blood in their DNA. It's, I'm, I'm not playing games. Just like at Fruitvale Station, right? Um, already down on the ground. Uh, there's a film about it. Um, unable to fight back. You know, um, handcuffed. And then one of the officers says, I thought he was reaching for something. So he shot him. His hands were handcuffed and they had already checked. So that's just plain and simple. It's because of the systemic racism that's been perpetuated, scientific racism, since the 17th and 18th century, accompanied by people like Kant and Hegel and Heidegger, that that black people are beasts, right? That's why even, like, you'll see old white men, middle-aged white men, whose sons are playing on a team with a black guy, and they'll be like, ah, he's a real beast right there. He's a good one. He's a bull, you know, playing basketball to show why. Because they can't believe that it's talent and hard work. They have to justify it. But he's genetically predispositioned to be a better athlete than my son. And that's why my son will never
1: win. Mm. Yeah, I just think it's this. So this is perpetuated. No, I just to piggyback off that. It's just real short because I can I can um, relate to that really well, just being a, an athlete myself, that uh, it just goes way deeper than than what people realize, that's why so many people are va- uh, advocating to just re- reassess and rechange the system as a whole, because it just goes into, uh, when you think of racism, it's not a not something genetic it's not something that you're born with it's something that you're taught and it's a generational thing that's taught Mm -hmm. generation after generation and you know racism also comes from not knowing and what also comes from not knowing is a fear and you don't know something Mm -hmm. your innate your innate feeling is the fear because you don't know how to react with it um which can in turn when you're I guess confronted with it or faced with it, your fear can turn to anger or hatred. For something that you don't even know. So in every generation it gets worse and worse. You know what I understand? That somebody teaches you that, uh, what's white is right and what's black is, you know, wrong or less than um, I think of the, the negative connotations like white is pure White is holy, black is dark, obscure, mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. words like blackball, blackmail, things like that is just—it's so deeply rooted in the system. So when you're teaching this to children, every generation it gets worse mm-hmm. because then it becomes all they know. It's the foundation of their education of human beings that they come and interact with. Uh, and that's why. You know, with the hijacking of the message, it gets so messed up because people already mm-hmm. have a hard time changing something that they've been taught since they were little. Since they were little, because that was all they knew at the time, until they, you know, attain more information or seek the information. So, mm-hmm. I think that's a, another major thing that's been kind of lost in translation is that not only are we just trying to change the perception of. African-American people. And let's kind of make it bigger than that. Just all minority races. I think it's the system needs to change too because there is a, a negative outlook on our uh, Latin community. You know what I'm saying? There is a a negative outlook on the Arab community and, and different, in different levels and different forms of the system. But it's all predicated on uh, a <laughs> the the miseducation of the people that come into society in in courses or just different you know jobs or careers in which you will come in contact with these individuals mm-hmm. you know, because you don't know the culture or haven't been taught the correct way about the culture or been taught that if you don't know the culture seek to understand the culture So basically I think what I was just kinda of leading to was just um kind of the miseducation of race, um, or creed of origin and things of that of that nature. And basically just saying that when you when you do not educate uh your children or adults also um educate them about other cultures, or even if you don't know yourself, educate them if they have the opportunity to learn the culture, seek to understand those things. I feel like it lessens the ability of prejudice and or racism, because I think the problem that comes out of racism and prejudice and oppression comes from the education and communication between uh, different races or different lifestyles, and I I see it as a big problem because you know I can I can talk to like um, my grandmother, people that were born in the sixties and forties or fifties, um, and how racism has it has racism hasn't really changed, but it's just forms of being relayed to other people have changed where it was very outward where you would just be blatantly called the n-word or there was segregation or redlining and things of that nature to now we're in 2020 and a lot of people think racism doesn't exist but it does it's just more mm-hmm. silent so instead they don't try to say it to your face they might be friendly to you yes. so they can say oh well i'm i have black friends or i'm nice to this this black guy yes. or black girl a Hispanic guy, Hispanic girl or whatever, how can I be racist? But when they get around their, their friends that, you know, that are have the same race as them and have the same mindset, no, you actually are kind of, you actually are racist. The thing mm-hmm. that you say around your friends, but because you, you don't say it outwardly to that person, how can you be racist? You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nice and cordial and people have it confused that Yes, it's it's cool that you're nice, but to to what ends are you being nice for? Is it to make the appearance so you can have a defense mechanism if somebody calls you out on racism or being prejudiced? Or is it because you actually (laughs) want to be nice to that person and understand that person's culture and where they come from and things like that? I think that's another big thing that I've seen a lot on social media. People say like, well, how do you guys love black culture and music and these rappers? and the lifestyle and the clothing and the hairstyle but as soon as we're asking you to advocate for us to use your white voice mm-hmm, or your mm-hmm. voice of privilege to get other people to understand our plight you have nothing to say but you can you can you know you can wear the shoes of famous black athletes you can listen to the music of famous black you know uh music producers or you know Stars and you can, you know, all these kind of things. is just, I think it all starts from just the miseducation. Um, first, the miseducation, because not all, everybody is not born racist. Nobody is born racist. It's just the education of racism and the passing on of hatred from generation to generation from the unknown and i think that's just where i kind of wanted to leave it at that at that point
0: yeah yeah i can definitely hear you on the on uh see see living in georgia right right, we encounter actual like like what i call authentic racists who are willing to say the n-word to your face that's fine i know who you are now right uh So if we're going to, if you want to throw hands, go ahead. Um, You know, at least I know you're a racist. But what I did not like was in the Southwest, how people would do things that racists in the Southeast would do, but never pretend to be nice to me, right? That's the difference between nice and kind. Kind is like the German word kind, meaning relative, like kin. So treating someone like you would treat a relative. Um, but, um, being nice, you can fake, you can fake all day. So in, in the Southwest, people would be what I would consider racist, but then, you know, they could say, I have one black friend, they, one of 50 black people who live in Albuquerque. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> there are very few black people who live in the Southwest. Um, so, you know, they could, they could conveniently do that. And they'd be like, no, no, no. You just see everyone as racist because you're from the, you're from, uh, Georgia. It's like, no. I see every. I can see racism, because I'm black, and, and you're trying to defend yourself. Um, it's not just because I'm black. white. People can see it too. They just don't want to call you out. You are a racist. And yeah, yeah. So I would say I'm. I would rather sit beside a Klan member than I would beside. Um, a passive racist, someone who just is unwilling, someone who's so fragile than to accept the fact that some of the things they do are systemically oppressive.
1: It it weighs heavy on my heart, not even coming from an emotional standpoint, just just knowing how through our many efforts to be peaceful and to just wanting a country to love us back Mm. or just treat us equal Uh, It just becomes more and more difficult, and it's more and more hoops that we have to jump through to just get an equal chance, not a privileged chance, just an equal chance. There's always the saying that Mm -hmm. I've heard, and you probably heard, as a young black male, like you're gonna have to. One of the terms is like you're born with two strikes. You have to move and maneuver through life. have to move and maneuver through life with extra care and be very clear and concise about each move you make because it's going to be calculated each and every step of the way. And also the other term of, you have to work two or even three times as hard just to get half of what somebody, um, mm-hmm. that somebody else, um, does. You know. A lot of things too, like to be a black person in a position of influence or power, you have to be perfect, you have to be the best or any position. If you even wanted to be like, and there's, there's nothing wrong with being like a mechanic or anything, I'm just using it as a, an example. But like, to be a black mechanic, for, for some positions, you have to be the best mechanic that came out of wherever you came from in order to get the position. Where but others just have to be average. So I think again, yeah. the emphasis just on the system, on how we're able to even get into the door is already hard enough. There's people that can have a a an average, you know, grade point average or just average credentials and get paid the same as somebody that has is over and beyond or overqualified, but just because of the color of their skin or where they came from. Oh yeah. It it. It doesn't allow them to reach their full potential, and I think that's a major problem. Even and then um, not so to cut you off, and even too for like, like women, like, and I can't yeah. even speak on it to to the degree as you probably can, Leila or any other, other woman can, because I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, it's probably even worse. Just even the mindset of men in power dating back to. I don't know how far, the 20s on how the male is always the breadwinner and the woman's only role is to take care of the kids in the house. And we still carry that on into 2020. But there are so many women now in influential positions and positions of power that have the same education as men and can have the same influence and are just as intelligent, if not more, and, and juggle the same amount, if not more than men, but yet are compensated and are treated less than. So I think it's just a major problem going back to what we first started talking about from just biking and trying to have regular transportation to just how different people in America alone are treated based off the color of their skin. hmm Yeah, so, so, right, so I'm thinking
0: of, of two, two things that could happen here. As, um, as someone who is of any, any minority descent um, in the US, um, even in Canada, so many other countries as well. So, you have a twofold problem at the beginning. Either you can be extremely confident in your abilities and be labeled um, with speciesism, so animalistic qualities, you're a beast, whatever, you're confident in your athletic or your musical or whatever abilities, and then you achieve something from that. Or you can be rife with imposter syndrome, where you always doubt yourself, regardless of how how much knowledge you have, regardless of your um, abilities, athletically, socially, what have you. You're always going to think, ah, it doesn't matter. Um, Because, like, I suffer from this, and many other people do, where you're like, ah, I always have to achieve something. I have to go for the next thing, right? I may have accomplished this. Everyone has. I need to go for the next thing and I still won't be considered good enough, you know? And then we have the other fourfold problem coming from, you know, Black communities, not just the hood, but if you're Black in general. Even worse so, if you're one of, like, two or three Black families living in a place of Georgia, and wondering why you're one of four or three or four Black families in this one place. Um, So you have four choices that are commonly seen. In the MI, you can compare with, you got four boxes or four four places to go. A pine box, a coffin, a concrete box, prison, um, you know, a wooden box, the basketball court, or a sound box, the studio. So those are basically your four major choices as a black man, um, as a black child living in this. That's how you're going to make it out of the hood or, or the sticks wherever you live as a black as a black individual.
1: Yeah, that's my you mindset. agree with that, Nehemiah? Yeah, that's just the mindset of a lot of young African-American kids. It's just a, a term that you may hear often, or product of, of your environment. I mean, even me, like, I didn't grow up necessarily impoverished, but I wasn't too far from it. And a lot of people that influenced me from my younger age, they didn't necessarily earn their money or their salary honestly, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. instead of giving away what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you see that as a kid, it's like, okay, I'm hearing that I have to do K through 12, then do four years of college and accrue this debt to just make, you know, this type of wage. versus I know somebody that's not even four or five years older than me making that plus song and he's doing this and you just kind of think like okay this is my only way out or the people of major influence like if you think think about black lives matter movement and kind of like with sports right now all of our major advocates Mm. and our spokes people for this movement are athletes rappers singers actors if there's ever uh, something going on in a white community, they don't talk to white artists or white athletes or white singers. They speak to actual officials. So it's even, yeah. it even to bring it in. It's so much influence that goes into these things. That's why our only mindset is to like, okay, my two ways of getting out is either being good at sports hopefully get a scholarship to go play in college then go pro and make money. Or I go into the booth, make a couple some good songs, gain traction mm-hmm. and reach fame that way. Because look, if you look at our community, these are our spokespeople. These are our faces. These are yeah. where the news cameras put their cameras on. They, they, you know, they go ask, uh, like in Atlanta when, um, when Rayshard Brooks was shot and killed in Atlanta, the first two people, they, uh, it wasn't even Rayshard Brooks yet, it was still George Floyd. The first people they went to as a spokesperson of Atlanta was Killer Mike and T.I., which are two rappers. Yep,
0: yep, <laughs> I was going to say, Killer Mike is always the one. And
1: in, in T.I., there was no there was Until- no actual African-American politician, mm-hmm. there was no, it wasn't, none of that, it's, two rappers. Now they have... I really feel they do believe
0: Killer Mike is like a spokesperson for the African... And he is eloquent. Don't get me wrong. He knows about economics and everything. But we we have other options that they could have went for. You're absolutely right.
1: But these are who they turn their cameras to. You know what I'm saying? And they don't... And this is who represents us. So that kind of breaks down Well, if people don't understand. well, Why do black teens and black kids always feel like they would have the rapper who will look at how much influence they have on society itself. When the white masses need to understand something from black people, they don't turn to black businessmen or black politicians or other people that have regular occupation. They turn to our rappers and singers and athletes. You know what I'm saying? Like LeBron James has become one of the biggest Black athlete slash social activist now, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I think yeah. that kind of explains everything, but also it keeps you. I, I feel like it keeps them in this. They tried to contain that with uh, when the lady. I think it, I don't think it was Tommy Law. I think it was some other lady who was telling LeBron and Dwayne Wade to just shut up and dribble. Like, you guys are basketball players. You're not politicians. They, they like to turn it on when it's useful to them and turn it off when, you know, they're making, I guess, too much noise. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's kind of the mm-hmm. main reason that they keep turning to these people. Like, like even though in Atlanta they, 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 were, they were the voice of the, the streets, for lack of a better word, or they spoke for us, it's still odd. And probably the message didn't get relayed to the people that actually need to hear that, that don't, you know, that are not heavily influenced by it. They're like, oh, those two guys are Mm -hmm. are rappers. What do they know about all these different kind of things? You know what I'm saying? I think the message gets Mm -hmm. misconstrued and misconveyed because they always turn the cameras to these people. We don't have a variety. Like I said, if it was a um, a white person and something was going on with uh, white people in America, they're not going to turn to Post Malone and ask them, hey, what do you think about this? No, they're going to go to somebody, uh, you know, influencer or that's well depth in politics and social justice yeah. and things of that nature. Because we have, I feel like we have a, a large black caucus of people that, are well-versed and educated in that matter mm-hmm. that can speak for us. And then you can add on these other people's and different avenues of influence that are also, you know, have dabbled in it or researching it.
0: Yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. Um, once again, we got to bring in the other side. As, as we know from black leaders in history, the one thing we have to fear is not whenever or having systemic racism, although we should fear this as well, and we should fight against it. It's whenever people begin to talk about a post-racial society, or whenever individuals are saying, I don't see color, you know, fear the polite white liberal. You know, whenever you have individuals going like, yeah, during coronavirus, it's really hard. It's hard for me to to pay rent, you know, and then it's like, so how are you paying rent? Oh, my, my mother or my dad's helping me out. Like that's not the same thing, you know. These people who are like, you know, talking about I'm I'm a poor college student, and their mother is paying their uh, car bill, their car note. So so I, I do I I have ish, you know. I I sound a little salty. I am. I do not. I do not really like white liberals. white leftists. That's a different thing, but but liberals who vote Democrat, um, who happen to be young. <laughs> maybe have a few stick of coke tattoos. I, I usually talk about the same people. Um, I got. I, let me calm down. But I, I have issue with individuals who try to make an affinity, right? Um, going like, yeah, I understand. I understand, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm gay, I understand the problem. And it's like, yes, this is an intersectional issue. Gay people have been systemically oppressed. Different LGBTQIA plus communities have been systemically oppressed. This is true. However, you are not justifying that. You are using that as a liaison into this other situation, which is not how we do that. We can address intersectional problems in the same exact movement, but we don't have to use that as a way to get into a movement and then leave whenever the going gets mm-hmm. Um Both of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Not, I think maybe, I, maybe I think what all is
1: being said and it's it's good conversation. I think it kinda goes back to the centralized thing. Um the the main anchor point as I like to say, um, uh, it's just the mindset that has to change first. Nothing nothing can really move forward if you stay in the same mindset. We can as we have seen mm-hmm. before, like you if you if you notice during this whole Black Lives Matter movement as of lately, We've seen streets planted planted with Black Lives Matter. We've seen Mm -hmm. street signs change. We've seen, you know, on media platforms or video games, they're saying, Mm -hmm. you know, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, notify people that they stand with, uh, they stand against people that are are racism and forms of oppression and all those things. But the main thing Mm -hmm. that we ask for has not actually changed. We just got a bunch of extra stuff with it, which is nice. I'm glad it's being acknowledged, but the main thing that was asked to be changed and formulated, or at least a plan of action to be formulated, has not happened yet. This, they, this, the MNTL anti-lynching law has still, have, has still not been passed. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. the state of Georgia, or just a, in, in the United States, period. I just said Georgia, in the United States, period. Um, mm-hmm. And why? Because the underpinning of the movement is getting overshadowed by all of these knickknacks and nice things, which we do appreciate Mm -hmm. because it brings awareness and attention. You can't miss it if you're flying in a plane over Washington, D.C. or if you're riding past the Trump Tower and you see Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter, just things like that. But the main issue at hand has not been changed. You know what I'm saying? And those things will be more concrete than the things that are painted on the concrete.
0: Yeah, that should definitely—I agree with you—light a fire in your soul, as the Christians say. You know, whenever I see Black Lives Matter written places, these these online slash video games, putting it—that makes me go even harder because that means we're picking up steam. If in a race, in a cross-country race, you start <laughs> gaining on the lead. You don't go like, ah, I'm getting up there. Let me just settle into my pace. No, you pass them, and then you win the race. You don't just, oh, okay, okay, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable now. No, being comfortable is, is how people um, become um, mm-hmm. lazy and, and fall into sloth, how we do absolutely nothing. I want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be killed, but I want to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. until I get that equity yep. that we all deserve. And that, that goes back to cycling as well. We all deserve the right to, to take our yeah. own form of transportation. Not, not everybody deserves the right to have a helicopter, right? There are extremes. Everyone deserves the right since you don't need a license what? to ride a bike. And I hear some people going like, well, if no. you ride on the street, then you have to take a bike test and get a license. And then we're going it's, to, yeah, it's like, it's like we start adding gateways, like, like levies, to prevent people from getting those licenses. Just like Jim Crow laws, you know, okay, you have to be able to stand on your bike without feet down for five seconds. Go. If you can't do this, then how are you supposed to be able to navigate whenever you have to press the brakes and then you can't put your legs down? It's like putting them in this incredibly improbable situations for the test. All oh, you have to be able to do a wheelie Because what if you need mm-hmm. to do no. a quick switchback because there's a car in front of you it's like, ah, these these things that they continue to add um, are just, you know, redlining techniques of preventing people from having that, 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 once again, as the Christians would say, that blessed assurance that they're safe. If I'm not going to be safe, nobody gets to be comfortable. If I don't get to walk around with a gun, open carry, nobody does, you know? And that's not being selfish. That's just saying, if I could freely walk around shoot two people at a protest and then walk by the police and just have them continually yelling at me I know if Nehemiah or I did that I would not I would not give mm-hmm. one hey stop walking and I think now.
2: yeah to talk about the down. that's it your cycling rules yeah. that people have come at you with um that's just like <laughs> policing something that doesn't need to be policed I think as well as like gatekeeping because um, I mean, in Los Angeles, um, I can't remember his name because there are too many, Um, but he was killed for riding his bike on the wrong side of the street. And I think that's, it's like unacceptable, but I think with like cars as well, like you interact with the police way more in a car than you would on foot. Um, And I don't think you need to bring in policing into cycling as a whole. I mean, granted, there are rules of the road that I think should be followed by everyone. It's unsafe to ride against traffic on a one-way street, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone deserves to die for it or like be punished with a $200 ticket because then you're just perpetuating the same systems that you have within traffic laws, in cycling laws, I guess. Um, and if we're trying to move away from that, I don't think that's something that is that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, Maya, do you have anything else? Any other questions
1: um, nah, directly related I mean, to
0: this, or directly like related to the world
1: as we know? Like we just hit on a lot of great points, kind of going from learning about Layla, her movement, um, what she's organizing. And then just hitting on some important stuff that just has to do with humanity um, and the state of the world and America right now. So, no, I I think (laughs) I think I'm kind of filled with just learning about Layla, our guest, and then just also just speaking on subjects that I know that's pretty important right now. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And
0: I would also like to thank you, uh, Layla, for joining us on the podcast. Is there anything else you would like to highlight before we go? Anything else you would like to discuss? Um,
2: no, cycling not really. I mean, yeah, cycling, a, a cycling is freeing, I think. And it can be really freeing for anyone. So I encourage people to hop on a bicycle and to get out into their community because, yeah, I think that's, it's really important to get to know the space you exist in and your neighbors as best you can even if it is just waving at them because then you have someone you know on the street on the same street you live on and I think that also would address a lot of issues with people just not knowing their neighbors and feeling unsafe in their own community which I think is something that can be fixed by just a simple wave sometimes not always granted but neighbors are important and I think there's way more political power there than when Um, politicians. Um, But yeah, no, that's it. Everyone should ride a bike. Ditch your car if you can. Yeah, that's all I've got. Thank you for having me.